Okay, let's do this. Let's make this happen. Christopher, are you there with me? I'm here, John. Christopher, are you ready? Can you handle this? <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't handle this, can you? I, John, I don't think you're ready for this jelly. I don't think I want to be ready for the jelly, to be honest. <laughs> well, um, my, uh, my body's too bootylicious. And now people are going to think this is an episode about Beyonce. Yeah, or an episode about the village people. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but wow, all right. Um, so what better way to intro to th- th- this episode, which is uh, an album that has a rather sexual title to it? Do you want to tell the listeners what it is? It does. We're going we're gonna to head across the pond to lovely Manchester, England, and take on an album by one of both of our favorite bands, uh, little known in America, but pretty big over in the UK. Uh, the band is James, and the album is Laid. And what an album it is, and what a band it is. Um, just, I mean, there's so much that I could say about the band. I think you as well. Uh, and... I love this album, and and yeah, I, they have a they have a following in the states, but I think they're much bigger in England. Um, Laid was, I think, probably their their most popular moment in the states, and it was released in September of '93. And uh, you know, the stars I think seem to be aligned for the band at this time. Uh, they had been around since the early '80s had very little commercial success in the States. And then bam, all of a sudden uh, they come out with this album and, and the song laid uh, was everywhere. I think in, in uh, late 1993 and beyond, and you still hear it, right? Like I'll hear, I'll go to a bar back in the day, you know, four months ago when I could do that. And uh, you know, you'd hear a band, you'll hear bar band playing laid on a, it's kind of a cover band staple, is it not? It is, yeah. It was a big, uh, it was a big song on college campuses when it came out, right? Um, it was, yeah. So big time. you know, I don't know that it necessarily made it all that high up the U.S. charts, but it was one of those songs that I feel like when most people hear "Laid," they go, "Oh, yeah, yeah, that song." Um, it, it was interesting because for me, I one of those things like I knew the song, I liked the song. I didn't know who sang it and I didn't know mm. who sang it till probably three or four years later. And, mm. uh, it, it was the same thing with the follow-up single to lead, which was say something, which mm. I love. Uh, you know, there was a alternative, uh, rock station that would play this kind of stuff, uh, at a long Island, uh, back in the day, it was W L I R. They still broadcast on the web and yeah. laid and say something were played regularly, but I couldn't tell you who the hell sang the song. I just knew I loved it. And, you know, driving around in the old blue Volvo station wagon that I drove around in 1994. <laughs> that's, uh, that's what would come on the radio sandwiched between, you know, stone temple pilots and, uh, whatever else, but many, uh, many fond memories. And it's, uh, listen, it's a great song. It's a, it's a great album. James sort of, I think rides this second wave of, new wave uh that was happening in in the early to mid 90s you know you had these bands uh that were they i shouldn't say brit it was just kind of the 
bands that were college radio staples uh, or college radio favorites in the early 80s uh, suddenly have this second act in the 90s, and they're huge. You know, you look at a band like R.E.M., you could say in 93, 94, they were one of the biggest bands in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, You look at Morrissey, uh, you know, he was huge in 1984 with the Smith, uh, 84, 85, and then 94, 95, he's huge as a solo artist. Mm. Um, look at Duran Duran. They emerge from New Wave. They're, they're the most popular band in the world in 83. They're done by 88. And then in 93, they have this huge comeback. So it was a good time for these types of bands. And I think Laid comes along right at this time and it kind of, kind of jolts James into that kind of world. And I also think having Brian Eno at the helm of as the producer helped them considerably. Yeah, James is an interesting story at, their, at this point in their their tenure um, because they've been around for a while. Um, at this point, they've been around for over a decade um, under, at first under some different names, one of which, uh, I'm not sure you know, was Venereal and the Diseases. Um, See, I would have just, stuck with that as the name. It's pretty fantastic. It's pretty fantastic. Uh, they switched it over um, a couple times before settling on James, which uh, you know is a bit of a strange name because the lead singer is is Tim Booth, and right. um, there's various various stories about how it's come about. They've they've sort of been uh, very coy about saying where the name came from, but. One of the main theories is that uh, they wanted to name it after somebody in the band. Nobody really wanted to do it except Jim Glennie, the bass guitarist, um, so that they went with that. There's another story that uh, one of the guys in the band was a big James Joyce fan, so it's a tribute to James Joyce. But nobody really knows for sure, which is it's kind of cool. Um, so Jim Glennie, but they didn't call the band Jim. No, called it James. Oh, Christ. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, um, I uh, I actually have a James T-shirt from a concert I went to in 2008, which is always odd because when I wear it, nobody, you know, very few people in the States here know James. And so people, you know, people think that my name is James. I'll order a, you know, order a latte and, the, you know, the barista will say, okay, it's James. And I said, no, it's Chris. And they'll give me this weird look. Because they have no clue about the band, right? I mean... But it's it's a cool shirt, nonetheless. Uh, but imagine if, like, you know, you wore a shirt that said Richard and people would call you Dick. Or you could be like me and people are going to call you Dick without even wearing a shirt that says Richard on it. So It's true. I've, I've been there, yeah, when that's happened many times. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. <so. laughs> but, uh, but James, you know, in addition to being through some different names over the years, I mean, prior to this album, when Brian Eno the great producer who's worked with everybody from U2 to Bowie um, and beyond. He was a founding um, member of Roxy Music, let's not forget. Of course, yeah. Um, but James, before this, was their music was a little more frenetic. They came out of this Manchester movement in England, which was uh, a lot of a scene that was sort of heavily influenced by MDMA, uh, ecstasy. <laughs> Um, Which is so weird you... because these guys are, are like, notor- not notorious, but they're famous for being like clean living. 
uh, teetotalers, if you will. That's interesting. And yeah. They even at one point joined some like uh, celibacy cult in the 90s. I mean, they're really, right. they look right. like proper Englishmen, but they're just, they're, they're just weird. I, I, I don't know. They're, they're kind of a mystery in that respect. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of their earlier stuff to me was kind of uh, anthemy, maybe would be the word, even mm-hmm. though it's not an actual word. You know, the kind of thing that you'd expect to like break out in the middle of, an, of a pub at one in the morning, you know, with everybody singing along kind of stuff. Um, but this one, Eno comes in and he basically says to them like, hey, you guys, let me show you what you can do. You know, the master of like ambient sound and Absolutely. You know, mixing in different layers and things. Um, and he, uh, he, he takes it up to 11 with that. Um, he does. And, and, you know, he knows, let's face it, he's considered one of the greatest producers in the business in the history of the business. But what I love with, with Eno is, you know, you can listen to 30 seconds now produced by Eno and you know that it's Brian Eno, but it's never a heavy handed production. It's yes. very refined, uh, nuanced, as opposed to like if you listen to an album that Phil Collins produced in the mid '80s for somebody else, it, it, you hear nothing but drums, you know? Yeah. So, oh, yeah. like, what is uh, the or, Frida that Frida track? Uh, oh yeah, I know. There's something going on. Frida um, from Haba, right? Yeah, exactly. And it, yeah, Phil Collins wrote the song. And uh, he produced the entire album, and, and you're absolutely right. Um, it the, the beauty of Eno is he kind of brings this Zen-like quality, uh, I think, to the recording sessions, from what I've heard. Uh, but also, just the like I said a moment ago, the, the music's incredibly refined when he's at the helm. It's never heavy-handed, and it just sounds so attractive. It's, there's a finesse to it that Brian Eno brings. Yeah, a hundred percent, hundred percent. We did a few weeks back. We did uh, "Acting Baby" by U2, and I think it's very similar in the sense that um, you know Eno comes in and he takes he takes a good band and he kind of takes it up to a different level. Uh, not that I mean U2 at that point was and James were both more than good bands, obviously, but of um, you know he he takes it in a slightly different direction and just adds another piece to it that. To me, for both of them, you know, maybe creates their respectively their best albums. I agree, and it, it's perhaps not coincidental that okay, so James releases this album in the fall of '93, and they immediately get a gig as Neil Young's opening act on his mm. uh, late 1993 tour in North America. Uh, now, you know, as far as I'm concerned, James should be the headliners, but whatever. I'm not the concert for a reason. That's, that's going to upset some people there. Uh, cool. Listen, uh, I've seen James in concert twice, and both times they were the opening act, and both times they blew the headliners out of the water. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then following, so check this out, following the opening act uh, for Neil Young, starting in 94, uh, spring of 94, they hit the road on a huge nationwide coast-to-coast tour as the opening act for Duran Duran. Now, that would have been a hell of a concert Oof. in 1994. Yeah, wow. And, wow, and that's then, phenomenal. 
it would be incredible. And then all of a sudden you have this new wave of Britpop to emerge out of the UK and gain notoriety on the heels of Laid, brought to you by these sort of veterans of, of British pop. And, and after that, you have, within the next couple of years, Oasis, Blur, Manic Street Preachers, Suede, The Verb, Pulp, dominating uh, alt-rock airwaves in, in the United States of the 90s. And I, I want to believe that James were kind of, uh, they were the kind of, kind of the forefathers of this uh, to a certain extent. Yeah, I think they were, they were one of the pioneers. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're, they're such a great band. They can be very, they can be very playful. A lot of their lyrics, I mean, the lyrics are great usually and, and very wry and playful, but uh, this is a band that tackles, that leaves no issue spared. I mean, they, they are not afraid to, uh, to really head on tackle things like religion, sex, gender, race, um, you know, in addition to all of the, the normal sort of love and sex. Uh, Absolutely. Um, yeah, they, they really go for the jugular. And they're unpredictable in the sense that occasionally you'll hear, you'll listen to the lyrics of a James song, and you know right off the bat what they're singing about. There's no surprises there. And then there'll be other songs of theirs that you really have to go back and back over and over again to really try to get the gist of what it's about. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I remember I, I sort of heard about James through you, um, probably when you were playing, hearing this album for the first time, uh, back when we were like 16 years old, 17 years old. Sure. And um, man, th this is the sound. This is where I had kind of hoped that music would go after the 80s instead of going into like a lot of grunge and a lot of the 90s just a lot of American music was just drab and angsty and monotonous. And, and James, to me, it was such a, such a fresh sound. I, I just it was, loved it. it was, absolutely. It was a breath of fresh air without a doubt. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, we'll talk quickly about the critical response. Uh, and it was largely quite positive. Entertainment Weekly gave it an A minus. Um, hmm. Melody Maker, upon its release, said that the album was an endearing, devastating, honest, um, it, the album's praised on both sides of the pond and, and one of the best reviews I read uh, was a slightly more contemporary review from Consequence of Sound and in April 2010 so just over a decade ago they revisited the album and this is spot on from the opening strains of Out to Get You the last haunting notes of the sprawling, ambient, skin-diving, there isn't a bad track in this collection. Moreover, the album sounds as vibrant today as the day of its release. A career peak for an underrated band, Laid proved that it was still possible to make intelligent, accessible pop music. Mm. I concur. But then, okay. What the hell happened? Why didn't they maintain their success? This is a big album from these guys. These guys should have kept going. They should have had continued success in the United States. Um, 
do you know what happened after this? Well, you get into the Wawa. Right. So Eno, being the genius that he is, and he is, convinces them to record two albums. One becomes laid. The other is really just a collection of outtakes, uh, experimental crap, band jamming in the studio. Uh, it, it basically is what you would throw away. Or you leave it for, you know, the 25th anniversary release box set a quarter century down the road. Or you be like you too, and you put out Zeropa, uh, which Eno had just done with them earlier in 93. Mm-hmm. So he convinces the band in 1994 to release Wawa hot on the heels of Laid. Uh, it comes out, I think, 13, 14 months after Laid. And while the critics are quite fond of Wawa, it is a disaster in terms of album sales. There are no singles off of it. And it's basically, it's got like 23 or 24 tracks on it. Most of it Mm. is just experimental in the band jamming. And uh, for my money, they lost their momentum there and they wouldn't release another studio album which would really be the proper follow-up to Laid until 1997's Whiplash, which I think is an outstanding album. Um, mm-hmm. But by then, forget it. You've lost the momentum. And then four years later, Tim Booth decides to quit the band. Yeah. And then he doesn't come back till 2008. So you add it all together, you've got 93 to 08. 93 when Laid's released. 08 when they're trying to get back on track when Tim Booth returns to the band. Yeah, I think there's probably a, a lot of truth to that. Uh, I think with the U2 comparison, I, I think U2 could come out with something like Zeropa, which which maybe took a little more effort on the listener's part and, and wasn't was a little more experimental because they're U2 and people are going to give them uh, more time because they were the biggest band in the world Absolutely. whereas james just i think you're right you know just getting known in america with a couple you know fairly big hits uh then you come back with something that's kind of off the wall and, and it might be very good but that takes a lot of effort um yeah people are going to be like what is this you know i want i want more laid um, and i want to get laid more Exactly. Uh, exactly. And, 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 and you know, it should be said that much of Zuropa. Okay, there were a few tracks I think on Zuropa, which were kind of stuff that was started during the Octung Baby era that they just never finished, and they res- mm. they resurrected. But a lot of Zuropa, most of it, I think, was um, recorded during a three or four month break, or not even from the mm. Zoo TV tour in nineteen ninety three or late ninety two. And you're absolutely right, Chris. I mean, at that point in time. You too could have recorded, you know, uh, Adam Clayton defecating for <laughs> for 13 minutes and released it as a single. I mean, for Christ's sake. I'd have bought it. I'd have bought, yeah. bought it. For Christ's sake, think about it. What's the first single that gets released off Zerope? Do you remember? It, is it numb? It was no. numb. Yeah, it was numb. Yeah. Do you remember watching <laughs> MTV? Oh, we've got a brand new U2 song. And you're like, what the hell is this? These are the guys that sang Where the Streets Have No Name six years ago. What the yeah. hell happened? Are they shooting heroin? Yeah. 
but, but it don't worked. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't eat, don't, don't, don't. Yeah. It, and it should be said, next season, I think we're going to be tackling Zuropa, so maybe we don't want to get into it too much. But right. Oh, God. Yeah. That's the benefit album. of being the biggest band in the world versus the the hurdles that a, a band with a, a smaller cult following like James is going to face. Yeah, totally, totally. So, you know, they may have strategically made a uh, a misfire there, but, um, you know, they, they they remained fairly big in the UK, and they had some other... They had some other really great albums. I mean, Millionaires, 1999. That's a great album. It's a great album. Pleased to meet you. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's the one in 2001, I think. Uh, that's fantastic. Yeah. And look, they, they still record. They still tour. I saw them last summer. We'll get into that in a little bit. Um, yeah. uh, they're a great band. They never got... The, the credit they deserve and that frustrates the hell out of me because in my opinion the quality of a lot of the songs are just as good as, as U2's best song um, I don't a lot think of them are, they yeah. are yeah. and some of them are better I don't think they have U2's power of reinvention um, and I think that carried that served U2 quite well uh, particularly in the late 80s into the early 90s uh, James has always sort of been James. You're right. They they brought Eno in and it changed their sound a little bit, but they're not. Uh, they they just aren't rock gods. Yeah, no, and that's fine. I mean, not everybody can be can be you too, but uh, they do what they do, and they they do it great. I, you know, part of they me do. likes the fact that they didn't make it that big because it almost is like, at least in America. It's almost like a little club, you know, when I have the James t-shirt and when I do wear it, you know, every once in a while, like every fifth time I wear it, somebody's like, oh, dude, James. And like somebody gets it. And uh, I feel like I'm part of like a little inside club, you know. Do they really say, dude, James? They say, bro, 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 James. James. Yeah. Love James. Now, as wonderful as the album is, I'm sure there's an adir. I'm sure there's a moment on it that you're like, eh. I'm not totally feeling this. What, what would it be on this album? Yeah, I actually don't like the album that much. Um, no, I'm kidding. Really? That would be that would be great. Yeah. No, for me, there's a couple songs that are maybe a little on the weaker side. But to me, my main issue with the album is the order of the tracks. Um I feel like it doesn't really tell a cohesive story. It doesn't really take you on a journey. Um, you know, they start out with the song Out to Get You. It's a great song. Um, great song. I mean, we often talk about how paranoia makes is like a key ingredient in great albums. And I mean, Out well, to Get is, You. That's is... about as paranoid as it gets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but to me, I, I want to say that doing that is like a smart, subversive move to go with this kind of dark, slow song to open it up. Um, but I just can't get there. I feel like starting it out, I feel like that's a song that needs, that's a song that's a payoff. 
Um, so is, are you are you suggesting that Out to Get You is the Nadir of the album? No, 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 uh, no, not the song. But I'm talking about the order of the tracks. I'm saying that that song should be should be further back. There should be a build up to something with that much uh, punch you in the in the gut power. Um, what you mean? I agree. I, I would start it out with something something a little different you know maybe i don't know maybe like 5-0 even i would start it out with um something that's got a little more up tempo that kind of is still dark and has that uh paranoid feel to it but why why didn't they start the album with the title track with laid yeah yeah, yeah. i mean sure you know and i feel like in the middle there's a lot of songs on this album that are slow and heavy and beautiful and that's great that's my jam but i feel like there's a run of them here you know you get dream thrum one of the three say something is different it gets thrown in there but then we got five oh ps everybody knows and the middle of this album is like it's just like a seething bruise <laughs> that's just like a festering wound and to me it's a little bit I think it could have been broken up differently so that it kind of takes you up and down a little more. Do you know what I mean? So your Nadir is the track listing order. The track listing order. Yeah. Interesting. want to be clear. I'm not like out to get you, I think is one of the best is a top three or four song on this album. Yeah. Well, I'm, not, I'm not getting into an argument with you. I'm not out to get you. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm all paranoid now. Um, I'm just trying to get out of you what your nadir is. Uh, you know, we have a time limit, so that's all. Right. That's what I'm, <laughs> I'm saying. To me, I don't, I don't feel like, you know, I don't need an album to, like, literally tell a story or, you know, that's obviously too much. But, um, you know, I think there needs to be, like, a, a kind of building action, like any story and, and a not necessarily a climax, but there needs to be a rise and fall. And it kind of, I like to be taken through some ups and downs. And this one, I don't, there's something off in it to me, the way that it goes. Okay. Yeah. What's your Nadir? It's a little simpler than that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My, my Nadir, uh, and this wasn't easy because I really, I like everything on the album. Uh, but it's the tenth track, low, low, low. Mm. Um, it's jangly and fun, but I just don't think it belongs in the album because there's very little that's fun about this album. Uh, <laughs> and it's it's a fine song. I just don't think it's on par with any of the other songs on the album. Um, when you look at the quality of, of about half a dozen of the songs in the album. Uh, one better than the other. Uh, low, low, low to me is is throwaway. Um, what would you go with for your sleeper? Yeah, I'm just going to say that was, you know, when I said I feel like there's a couple weaker tracks on here. If I picked a song, it would probably be either that, maybe uh, maybe Knuckle Too Far. But mm-hmm. I think you're I think I you're on that one. It doesn't it doesn't quite stand up. Um for my sleeper, 
this is one I've listened to a million times. And actually just this week and listening to it was really the first time that it grabbed me, which I mean, that's, that's a sleeper right there. Uh, one of the three. Mm. Um, it is the fourth track on the album. It has a whole lot of religious elements going on here. Um, I think you could probably read it a couple ways, but in the most literal sense, it's just talking about Jesus, which is a pretty bold move for a pop band. That is. Um, and, and it's just some of the lines that get me some of the, um, some really bold, beautiful lines, uh, you know, addressing Jesus here saying, I need proof before belief. Oh, well, you just knew they'd come for you. So it was suicide, suicide. Oh, well, you got just what you wanted. I hope you're satisfied. I mean, wow. <laughs> That's um, kind of brutal. But in the song, it's not said with like malice or anything. It's sort of, I don't know. It's very... Uh, it just hits you in the gut, but it makes you think. And then later on, oh, well, I guess you're not to blame for what they've done in your name. Um, that's another one. It's a shame you got so famous just for a sacrifice. You know, it's these sort of bombs that they drop in there. And I think you can interpret them in different ways. Um, I think you can interpret some of those both positively and negatively. Um, but man, just some dropping some sledgehammers. Um, I think you can also read it as like being said to somebody who's like playing the martyr in relationship to, I think, but I don't know if that's going too far, but uh, no, I think it could be a bit of both. You know, yeah. I, I read something uh, that Eno didn't like that song at all. He didn't want it Is on the right? album. Really? Yeah. And uh there was a day where he wasn't in the recruiting recording studio. I forget if uh, and maybe he was sick or something. And that's when they recorded it. Oh, wow. Because yeah. um, uh, they, de they defied Brian Eno. Uh, he was adamant that that song should not have been on the album. Well, I mean, it's, it's a little weird, right? Because it's, it's weird. It's a song about Jesus. <laughs> like, you don't get that much if it's not Christian rock. So I agree. What'd you go with for the sleeper? Like you, uh, you know, I've listened to this album thousands of times, and there's a song that I always glossed over. And I think it was really just a few days ago I stopped and I thought to myself, oh my God, that song's amazing. And uh, the, the one I went with is 5 0. Mm. Good choice. Uh, again, I never paid much attention to this song. And what a mistake I made because it is haunting, it's, it's unsettling, as is most of the album. Um, and it's musically amazing. You know, I think on this album and oftentimes with James, but Booth is a great singer and he's got those soaring vocals. But when he kind of sort of takes a step back and, and lets the band take over musically, that's when they're at their best. And that haunting violin outro uh, from the incredibly talented Saul Davies on mm. 5 -0, uh, I just think it's incredible. And ironically, I find it reminiscent of, of uh, mid-70s Roxy music when hmm. Eddie Jobson was in the band and he, Eddie Jobson was their violinist. And ironically, Jobson is who Brian Eno's replacement was. And Eno has said on several occasions that he thinks the first album they did with Eddie Jobson, uh, Roxy music, was their best. 
And hmm. that, that violin outro, not only is it reminiscent of say out of the blue by Roxy music, but it's just, it's poignant. It's, it's haunting. And I think it really just, it brings that song to a, to a wonderful close. And it also kind of brings the first half of the album to the close, to a close, I think. Um, so yeah, for me, yeah. it was, it was five. Definitely. Now, um, what do you go with on a Zenith here? This was tough. This was as tough as any album we've done. Um, to me, it came down to three songs um, without to get you sort of a, uh, an honorable mention. The one I ended up going with, I, I would not have, I would not have gone with before this week, but listening to the album again, a couple times, um, I feel pretty strongly about this. I th- and I think this track should end the album, actually, even though it doesn't. It's it's next to last. Lullaby. I think I know what you're going to say. Exactly. Lullaby. Lullaby. Wow. I mean, this is like, this is some of their finest lyrics. Uh, and it's this beautiful, haunting melody. Um, is, it, is it true? I read somewhere online that it's about child abuse. Uh, well, it, yeah. I mean, if you, you know, you, if you look at the beginning... Since your mother cast her spell, every kiss has left a bruise. Now you've been reading too much from meaning, from existence. Now your head is used and sore, and the forecast is for more. Memories falling, like falling rain, falling rain. So, yeah. You know, I don't know if it's physical, mental abuse, but it, it definitely seems like it, it grows out of a terrible childhood. Um, your memory's one-sided. The side that you're choosing feels nothing. I love that line. Yeah. Oh, that last, I'm just going to read that, that last section. Um, In this gloomy haunted place, all the feelings are of shame. All the windows have been broken by the children. So the wind screams up the stairs, slams doors and rattles chairs. I wish we weren't conceived in violence. Uh, And it goes in from there, but man, that's, it's, it's incredible and, and haunting and beautiful. It's, it's a hell of a song, and yeah, I mean, it, th- that's the testament to this album, because like you, I struggled. Yeah. There are really, I, I almost went with Lullaby. Uh, I didn't. Hmm. Now I'm glad that I didn't. Yeah. Um, but I could have made a compelling argument for Lullaby. I could have made a compelling argument for uh, Dream Thrum. Uh, I think what bothers me with Dream Thrum is I don't really know what a thrum is. Uh, (laughs) So that that kind of pissed me off. Um, I could have made a compelling argument for uh, Say Something, which I always have loved. Uh, Oh, I thought that's where you were going to go. I thought that's where you were going to go. No? Uh, This is the shocking thing. And I've stayed quiet so far about this. I went without to get you. Ooh, all right. Because here's the thing. I, I get what you're saying about the order of songs seeing, seeming a little strange. I think it's a bold and ballsy move to open the album with this song, Out to Get You. Um, but it, it's this haunting, neurotic ballad. But in my opinion... It works because this whole album is irreverent. It's it's not 
standard, not typical. It's it's mm-hmm. unpredictable. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I just think that out to get you is everything James are about encapsulated into four minutes and 30 seconds. You know, you, you have the, the strange lyrics. You have the stellar musicianship. Larry Gott's slide guitar is incredible. Um, and, and, I mean, the lyrics to out to get you, uh, I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a punch to the gut as far as I'm concerned. When you open an album with the line, I'm so alone tonight. My bed feels larger than when I was small. Um, hmm. And, you know, he goes on to say, uh, miss the outline of your back, missed you breathing down my neck. They're all out to get you once again. And it's just that repetitive, insecure. What you going to do? Yeah. Feel so small. They will step on you. You'll you'll get no argument from me on the on the song itself. I, I think it's I think it's nothing short of great, and it's one of their I don't know, you know, top seven or eight, definitely ten songs of their thirty year existence. Um, yeah, I for, and I hear what you're saying about you know starting it in an unconventional way, and like I wanted to. I get all of that. It just didn't, I don't know. It doesn't quite like in theory that all works for me, but uh, in practice it doesn't quite, but I, I hear it. It's a great song. It's a great song. Do you think the album captures the cultural zeitgeist of that era? I, I struggled with this one when I was thinking about it. I, I don't, I don't know that it does. Um, I mean, maybe a little bit. I think it captures the zeitgeist of, what I wish that era had been rather than what it was actually. Yeah. I, I don't Absolutely. Yeah. Is that, it, it doesn't, when I think of early, you know, nineties, I don't think of this um, as a whole. I don't either. Yeah. I w- like you, I wish it was. Yeah. I, I wish this is what people would think of. I, I think for me, the song laid, the, not the album, but the, the title track itself it, sort of captures the zeitgeist. Mm. I think it's synonymous with anything and everything mid-90s. But aside from that, no, I don't think it captures the zeitgeist. And you got to look at it this way, too. This album is released within weeks, I think. In some cases, maybe on the same week or the same day as Nirvana's In Utero, Pearl Jam mm. Versus, Counting Crows, August and Everything After. These are all wow. released September, October of 1993. And those three albums, I think, do a far better job of capturing the, the zeitgeist of, of 1993, 1994. Yeah, yeah. But this one, you know, this, you... this one stands the test of time. That's, you know, I mean, they all, they, I don't, oh, I don't I mean agree. that the others don't. I'm not saying that, but I just mean, uh, I think there's a timelessness to it, um, regardless of whether. I agree. I, yeah. I, I like this album much better than any of those three albums. I do. Same here. And I think it's it's far more uh, timeless than than in utero versus August and everything and after. Mm-hmm. Um, Agreed. So I, we agree on that. Now, any uh, significant moments in your life that a song or two from this album has has played a part in, or uh, are there pop culture moments for you that uh, I think uh, late is there. I think seeing them the one time that I saw them live uh, 2008 at the paradise in, 
is that, I don't know if it's, is that in Boston or where I can't remember if that's in Boston or. Yeah, it was in Boston. Yeah. Sure. Um, I didn't know if it was in like Cambridge or, or something, but uh, yeah, they were fantastic. Uh, you know, they had gotten, when did they get back together? They got back together in like early 2008. Okay. Yeah. So this was shortly after getting back together and um, you know, you don't know what a layoff like that's going to do. They were off for what, like seven years, I think. Um, yes, and seven years. Yeah, and they were fantastic. And and the Paradise is a pretty a pretty intimate venue. And uh, Tim Booth at one point sort of ran up the middle the middle aisle to the the balcony where I was sitting, and you know I could I think I'm I can't remember if I gave him a high five or if I just imagined it, but he was right there, and it was uh, wow. it was pretty special. It was pretty special, yeah. Um, but they sounded fantastic, and. Oh, they're a great live band. Yeah, great live band. What about you? I, uh, last summer, I saw them in concert. Mm. I won tickets through a radio contest because I'm one of the only people who still does that these days. <laughs> um, and they played uh, a beautiful venue in Manhattan, uh, Pier 17, which is way downtown, uh, kind of far in the in the depths of the financial district, and. Um, it's an outdoor, basically Pier 17 is a rooftop performance venue mm. and uh, it's overlooking the, the Hudson and it's overlooking uh, the Brooklyn Bridge. Because of noise ordinance rules down there, uh, concerts can't go past 10 p.m. And uh, this was, James were part of a double bill. Uh, the, the headliner being the Psychedelic Furs, who were a good band, mm. but I think James are 10 times better. So uh, James came on first, and uh, it was the most picture-perfect July night, and there was not a cloud in the sky, and you're watching them perform on this makeshift stage, and behind the stage is the Brooklyn Bridge, and it was just the most amazing thing. And um, one of the highlights for me, it's actually on the album Laid, and it's not a song we 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 spoke of uh, in this episode, but it's the song Sometimes. Mm, and, Lester Piggott. Uh, Lester Piggott, exactly. <laughs> uh, and the thing with sometimes is it, the outro, that repetitive sometimes when I look in your eyes, I see your soul. Mm. It's a very intricate, uh, the harmonies in that seem rather intricate. And it's actually uh, Brian Eno doing backing vocals uh, on those harmonies. The only oh, wow. song that he sings on, on the album. Wow. And, um, I was at the concert with my brother, and when they started playing that, I, I turned to my brother and I go, this is going to be tough. And he goes, what do you mean? I go, there's no way they can come close to replicating the, the sound on the harmonies at the end of the song with uh, when they had Eno. And um, I was wrong. They nailed it. It was. It, you can actually watch the entire concert on YouTube, um, and it's a picture-perfect video and audio quality you can see what i mean it's it was just incredible wow that's fantastic you know you know in the in the liner you know writes the liner notes to laid um that sounds about right and uh one of the first things he says is that james he and when he had hooked up with james they brought him the lyrics to sometimes that was the first thing that he got from them and that he immediately thought it was one of the best songs that he had ever heard in his life wow, um, wow. pretty high praise is this a perfect album? I don't think so. I, you know, I, I might be wrong about this whole order of tracks. Uh, 
some listeners, some James fans may send me hate mail. I don't know, but I, I feel like no. I, I... John? John? Oh. I think I lost you there. I think I think those oh. James fans uh, just hijacked the, <laughs> the podcast when they heard you say no. I'm back. I'm, but you're back. I'm back. I'm back. Wow, this is the first um, time that's ever happened. Um, yeah. Anyway, not the last. I, you know, yeah. I may be wrong. Anyway, about the order of the I, you know, I may thing, be wrong but, about uh, the order of the tracks thing, but uh, yeah, to me that that keeps it from being yeah, a perfect to me that, album. That keeps it from what do you being think? a perfect album. What do you think? I'm going to disagree with you Oof. wholeheartedly. Wow. On this perfect album. Oof. I do. Wow. Uh, I know, I know. Um, it has one or two slightly weak moments. Uh, and, you know, maybe the order seems a little strange, but at the end of the day, Laid, Sometimes, Say Something, 5-0, Dream Thrum, P.S., Out to Get You, Lullaby, one of the three. I mean... I just gave you nine songs that are so beautiful, perfectly written, incredibly well-performed, perfectly produced. I don't know of many albums from that era or many albums in general that, that have that much. So while there, is, there are one or two less than stellar moments, those nine songs I just mentioned that it's a tremendous group of songs. It's, it's a tremendous group of songs. I think you may just be trying to. I think you may just be trying to avoid persecution from persecution from the rabid James fans. But, but if if we get any of them <laughs> listening, I will be thrilled. No, it's an incredible <laughs> album. It's no, it's an incredible album. From that, from it's one era, of the best albums era, from that and, from uh, that era. era. And uh, uh, that's all I have to say. Uh, that's all I have to say. And that's all I have to say. Well, this was wonderful. So, folks, do yourselves a favor. Go out and get laid. Uh, <laughs> you've been, you've been waiting the, 40 minutes. You've been, you've been waiting 40 minutes to say that, haven't you? <laughs> 46 at this point. Uh, <laughs> and 43 years. <laughs> so, go, go out and do it, whether it be the, the James uh, Laid or whether it be whoever you're in quarantine with. And, uh, Christopher, thank it's been you my for pleasure. this, as always. It's been my pleasure. And... We will be back soon enough with more of this stuff. Take care. Take care, everybody.